Hey, uh, it's so good to be back, and uh, this is our first service of the morning. We're actually doing two services now. I'm sure most of you are aware because you're here on time. Uh, and coming back after Corona, uh, quite honestly, it could be easy to come into uh, this platform and to speak to you and start to encourage movement and pace and, and, and getting busy but I actually feel like this morning is the opposite. I want to speak to you this morning and begin a series that really is going to be three parts over the next three weeks, obviously, called The Other Side. The reason I feel called to preach this message is there are 16 incidences, most of which where Jesus is speaking to the disciples when he's finished in one location geographically, he says to them, let's go to the other side. In fact, even when God came and spoke to Joshua, he said to Joshua, not necessarily go to the other side, but he said, take my people, and he made the encouragement that they were to cross over the river and go to the other side where the promised land is. And obviously, we are approaching, hopefully, the other side of what the world has called lockdown and ISO, isolation and all the different terminologies, whatever the case may be. But something I found during the coronavirus is there's actually a need for rest. I want to read you a scripture this morning, in fact, a few scriptures, if you have your Bibles, to set up the narrative of this morning and give you the context for where we're going over the next couple of weeks. We're going to read from Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, verse 35 and 41, Mark 34, 35 to 41. This is Jesus. He had just been teaching all about parables according to the book of Mark. And in verse 35, it says, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to where? That was two of you. Let us cross over to where? The other side. In verse 36, it says, Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat just as he was. And all other little boats that were with him, they came. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat against the boat, so that it was already filling up. But he was in the stern, or in the rear, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? In verse 39, then he arose, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, let me say that again, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Remember, Jesus had just been teaching them all about parables of the kingdom. And they feared exceedingly, and they said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? If I were to ask to break this narrative, this story up personally, just me looking at it, I would break it up into three parts. I would compartmentalize, if you will, this. And I would say it like this. There is the initiation, the, there's the agreed uh, discussion or, or, or scenario that they are actually crossing over the other side. They are leaving one location and going to another. Uh, for better or for worse, whatever the case may be, we know that Jesus approached a, or a demon-possessed man came on the other side, but we're not there yet. There was a discussion about crossing the other side. The first part, I would say, would be defined by the setting out. And that is actually marked by rest. The storm would be the middle, and that's calmed by peace. And the arrival, which is anticipated with joy. The key thought this morning I want to speak to you about for the next few moments that we have is 
this idea of rest, this idea of stepping back. It wasn't too long ago I was on my boat. If you're part of our community, you would know I, uh, I love adventure and, and I love fishing and I love going out on my boat. I recently sold my boat so that we could buy a house, which we finally got in Jesus' name. And so uh, now I've got to conduct or concoct another way, concoct another way to get another boat in Jesus' name. But there was a time recently, in fact, it was only a couple of months ago, where we were going out through uh, the Southport Seaway, and we were heading out, and there's this thing at the end of the spit. Like, most of you all would go up there, and you're like, wow, there's surfers, they look like seals going across, and I think the sharks probably think that as well. Uh, But they swim across the seaway, there's people that fish there, there's people that surf on the other side. But the Southport Seaway actually has a bar, and the reason it's called a bar, I think at least, is because sand banks up at the entrance to where the water comes in. And at a particular tide, and the, with, the, with the way the wind is going, that seaway can become treacherous, it can become dangerous, it can become a place that you don't want to be even on a rock, let alone on a boat. And see, what you need to know about this, this story that I'm about to tell you is, I have been many times by myself through that bar. Uh, in fact, there have been many times that I've approached that bar, and I've looked at it and thought, in Jesus' name, no way, and turned my boat around and gone and fished up in the calm water uh, up by Curran Cove. But on this particular day, I was heading out, and I had my dad, who's a little bit too close for me as I'm telling this story, uh, but he was in the passenger seat. And then I had a guy who we would all know as Tom. He was in the front of the boat. He, he was a little bit amped to just be getting out fishing, and he was in the, the front of the boat. He was up by the anchor locker, and probably not a good idea to be in the anchor locker when you're crossing a seaway bar without a life jacket on. And as we're crossing this bar, something interesting happened. See, I was the captain. I was in charge. I had the controls. I had experience. I was actually at a place of rest. I saw the waves that were coming in, and I timed my run so that I would get through the bar. It was a little bit higher that day, but on this particular occasion, as I approached the bar with my dad, who's American, who's in the third row, uh, was sitting right next to me, I, I could feel the same feeling I had throughout my whole childhood whenever I did something naughty. And then it started to verbalize through my dad. It was just, just, just. And you could feel the the angst and the nervousness that I think the disciples were displaying when they called Jesus. Not that I'm Jesus. He lives in me, of course. But as we were going and approaching this bar, what I saw was there was a big wave coming. And Tom, I think, saw it as well because he climbed up on the front of my boat thinking that he could push it down. See, there's two different types of waves in the sea. There's a wave that they call a roller, which literally will roll like that. And that's all good. You're all good all day long with that. But then there's another wave called, in my language, the stand-up wave. That's a wave that has a white cap on it, and it's about to break. And, And if you're on a boat and there's a white cap wave coming, turn around and go as fast as you can the other way. But something you also need to know about when you cross a bar is, is, is that when you cross a bar and you've committed to it, don't turn around and go the other way. Because the moment that you turn your boat around with an oncoming wave, it'll flip your boat over in no time at all. So I made a decision that as we were going, I was at a place of rest. I knew the lineup of the waves that were coming. My dad didn't know that. Tom told me later that he didn't know that, although he pretended he did at the time. As we came and As we went to go over this wave, it 
It wasn't a barrel, it was a stand-up. And even I was a little bit shocked, but I floored it with the accelerator. My, it was like slow motion. My dad jumped to his feet, Tom standing up the front, and I'm like, oh. Like, as my dad started to rebuke me whilst we were crossing this massive wave. It was funny because we got to the other side, and it was calm, and it was smooth, and we went out before my dad got seasick, and we had to come back. This will be better in the second service when he's not here. (laughs) I'll tell it with more exaggeration. But the truth is that because I had experience, because I'd been to this place before, I was able to put myself to be quite transparent in a place of rest. And as I was at a place of rest, even though there was a big wave and there was a a storm-like wave in my dad's eyes and in Tom's eyes that were coming, that should have been uncrossable, that should have said, let's turn around and go the other way. Because of a place of rest, I was able to cross over to the other side. And I say that to say this to you today, the, the biblical meaning of rest is actually in the Hebrew, it's newark. It means to quieten yourself. If we were to look at it in the Sabbath or the Shabbat meaning, it means to cease or simply to get yourself at a place of rest. I love what the Greek says. It's cessation for the purpose of refreshment. It's cessation. It's withdrawing. It's ceasing to do an activity so that you can refresh yourself. Biblical rest was first documented in the Scripture in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. We would all know it. The Scripture says this, thus... The heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. But on the seventh day, God had finished his work and all the work that he'd been doing. And on that seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Hear this. I love this. Verse 3. I think often we skip over this. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work that he had done creating. See, God didn't just rest and have a nap. God rested He analyzed all the work that he had done, and he considered the day of focusing on his glory and his goodness in the earth a day of rest. And he also blessed it. I want to ask, when was the last time you deliberately rested? I'm not talking about just napping. I'm not talking about just just, just going out on your boat. I'm talking about being deliberate to stop and see the truth is there's actually not a biblical definition that you can see Jesus teaching on rest in the parables. But if we were to take God's encouragement and instruction and look through that, we would understand that God stopped to look at his glory and his goodness. And he considered that moment of reflection of all the good things he had done, blessing. So then if we're now on this side of the cross, looking at the finished works of the cross through the person of Jesus, the reality is, and just speaking in real plain English this morning, we'll make it flasher for the 1030 service, but true rest is stopping and reflecting on all the good things that Jesus has done in us, through us, and and upon this planet. (sighs) Hallelujah. Ceasing or withdrawing for one day or one hour or a season, is to refocus on the goodness of God found in the person and the presence of Jesus. A Jewish proverb says that if you work with your hands, then Sabbath or rest with your mind. If you work with your mind, then Sabbath or rest with your hands. Maybe you need to say that over to yourself to get it. See, here's some thoughts around Jesus on the boat. 
often we think that Jesus slept through the storm and there's this implication that Jesus had actually done wrong by the disciples. How dare he sleep during the storm? But the reality is Jesus was asleep before the storm came. Jesus knew that a time of withdrawing and crossing to the other side demanded in its first part and its foremost that he reflect. And I don't know, maybe Jesus was focusing on everything and reflecting on everything that he had just taught, listening to the Father for what he was about to experience on the other side. Nonetheless, whatever was going on in Jesus, the Son of God's head, the reality is that he withdrew and he rested. Some thoughts that we probably don't take into consideration, this place that Jesus was, uh, and understanding this probably wasn't just a normal fishing boat like the disciples were on. Being that there was a pillow and a place, this was actually uh, articulated and kept for honorary guests to sit where Jesus was sitting. The disciples were seamen, so it's only natural to assume that they would sail the boat. Be it the fact that Jesus was the rabbi, other words, in other words, teacher, even if he wanted to sail with the disciples, they probably would have put him in the place of honor. And here's a thought that I had just the other day, studying it through. Jesus was on a boat with the disciples, and the scripture says that all of a sudden there was a great windstorm that arose. If you study out this particular part of water where the disciples and Jesus were, you would form a narrative or a picture. And one writer said it's like the wind swirls through the mountains to a point that something opens up the floodgates and it regularly hits this body of water. And out of nowhere, in the split second, waves can rise up out of the ocean. Kind of like a virus that we've just been through. Kind of like a season that none of us expected to just happen. But Jesus was at a place of rest. See, here's my thought for you this morning. The good news is for all of us, whether you're at rest now, whether you've rested during the last 16 weeks, or maybe you're just hearing this terminology, which I'm going to keep saying this morning, rest. The other side will be far more future, fruitful when you posture yourself in this place called rest. The truth is I was going to call this message this morning, the title, Never Too Late. But I don't actually think that's true. See, if you don't position and poise yourself at a place of rest and allow it to become a lifestyle, it actually can get to a point where there is a breaking point where it is too late. So better we assess and review and analyze, do we have a lifestyle of rest now than getting to a breaking point? Because right now I would tell you it's not too late, but one day it might be too late. I know I'm confusing you all. My first thought for you this morning and how we move forward in a place of rest, is we gauge our rest from our responses. I'm going to be very transparent with you this morning. It was probably week 13 of the coronavirus. And to be honest, on week one, I've shared this before on the stream, I thought, cool, this is a little bit of a holiday. I get to preach and none of you all are in here, so it doesn't matter. I can just go hard out and not worry about what anyone's thinking, especially when there's an amazing preacher in the back of the room. Uh, the second thought that I had was, wow, things are going to slow down at church and the building, we're okay, things are going to be okay there. And then I thought, wow, I get to like work from home and that's going to be cool. That lasted for about 0 0.0 seconds. Uh, knowing that my kids were at home as well, all under the age of seven, three of them. 
and then we got to week two and things started to change. Week three, a little bit of anxiety started to build. To be honest, I don't think I've ever experienced anxiety in my life. But on week three, week four, week five, and then week 10, I started to really experience what anxiety was. Truth be told, talking to some of my other pastor friends, some of the biggest tough guys you know that wouldn't ever talk about this, they actually also confessed, man, we're struggling, feeling anxiety, feeling tension, feeling depression, feeling stress, all these feelings started to arise. I talked to some friends and there was an encouragement that I take some time out. And in reviewing this, what I realized is, although I've spent plenty of time in the Word of God, plenty of time praying in the Spirit, I was still more consumed with the anxiety of recording this video or making this announcement or doing this in the building or fixing the seven leases that have just gone. And most of the time, all of those things that we worry about, we can't fix anyway. So we're creating problems that we can't fix anyway, which again leads to anxiety. Depression is focusing on the past, understanding that you can't change it for the future. My thought for you this morning, gauge your response, your rest from your response. Being honest, and I probably think you would agree with me and say there was a time in your life that you were like this. I remember driving across the Isle of Capri Bridge. I just want to say, as a precursor, I'm all good now. But I remember driving across the Isle of Capri Bridge and I wasn't feeling road rage. I was feeling like peaceful, I had worship music on, there were roadworks, and all of a sudden, I looked up and there was a driver in front of me who was completely the opposite. He was abusing the road workers, he was abusing this person, abusing that person. And then there was this little part of maybe the old nature that needed to be worked on. Maybe it was the stress, maybe it was the anxiety, maybe it was the unrest. Suddenly, I was consumed with this thought of, try that with me, go on, try that with me. And by the time I got through the traffic jam to the other side of the bridge, I realized that my response to a tense situation wasn't coming out of a place of peace, patience, quietness, goodness, faithfulness, joy, and self-control. It was coming out of probably the opposite nature. The Bible says when you live by the opposite nature, you do not inherit the kingdom of God. But we're called as ministers and sons and daughters of God to live by the fruit of the Spirit. I say that to say this in the scripture. Paul was writing in to the church of Rome, and he said in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. See, although I was living according to the things of the Spirit, I'm still a son of God, I'm a child of God. My response would tell you that my mind was probably living in a different place to where my spirit was. And I'd allowed circumstances and anxieties and, and thoughts of the past to start to creep in and my response started to speak of anything other than rest. In fact, I went and saw a person and I spoke and to bring a holistic perspective and for the counselors in this room, please, I hope I don't mud this up. But this person actually explained something that made a lot of sense to me at this particular time. They said, Justin, you have to understand when you respond, you come out of one of three mindsets. You either come out of on the left or the right, whichever side you want to call it. You come out of the reasonable mind. The reasonable mind is cool, it's rational, it's usually task-focused. When in the reasonable mind, you are ruled by facts and reason, logic and pragmatics, values and feelings, they're not really that important. 
Like you just get on with the busyness. You got you to do the grind. You get it done. That's the reasonable mind. But then over here on the other side, there is actually the emotional mind. And as, mo as much as most of us don't like to admit it, we probably more often than not come out of this mind space. The emotional mind can be hot, is mood dependent, and is emotionally focused. When in the emotional mind responding, you are ruled by your moods, feelings, and urges, and what you do and the things that you say. Facts, reason, and logic are actually not important. But then there's this middle mind the world would call the wise mind, but we now know as Romans 12, 2 puts it, is the mind of Christ. And the Bible tells us, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We know that when we're coming out of this place, place when we're responding and we're not responding to what the world says and we're conformed and we're transformed and we're allowing the Spirit of God to speak through us, wisdom from within will come. It actually takes from the emotional mind and the responsible mind or the reasonable mind and, and takes the best of that stuff and as a Christian, couples it together and then comes with a kingdom response. And when they told me that in a different context, I thought to myself, wow, my response would say that I'm not living in a place of rest. Because if I was truly living in a place of rest or Sabbath, I would be not consumed with busyness, anxiety, fear, and all the things that come with that. And the language and the anxiety that I would be feeling would not be being portrayed in the way that it is being portrayed. See, when I was a tire fitter for many years and I did wheel alignments, we would have people come in with tires and they would have a puncture in them and what we would do to find the hole in the tire, you pump it up and you put it underwater. It's called a pressure situation, pressure test. And where the bubble comes up, that's where the hole is. So what we would do, we'd take the tire out of the tank, we'd deflate it, truck tires, wheelbarrow tires, car tires, all sorts of tires, and you would deflate it. You treat them all the same way. You let them relax. You let them rest. As they're gone down and they rest and they settle, then you start the operation. You, you, you clean it, you grind it, you scrub it, and then you put the patch on, and then you leave it to settle for a little bit. A little bit. And then as you start to inflate it, the patch starts to expand with the tire. And you don't just go and throw it back on the car and say it's all good, but what you do is you go and put it back in the tank. And I think this is a lifestyle of rest that we continually need to get ourselves back to a place. And that's why I believe the Lord called us to have a day, a Sabbath day of rest on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. Maybe some of us need to live in seasons of it. I know I certainly do. Because when you're pushed back into that pressure situation, the truth of the healing, of the transformation of the renewed mind will be revealed by the pressure and the response that comes out. So I'd ask you today, are there situations, are there circumstances or scenarios that have gone on maybe in the last week? Maybe you're about to face some this week. I want to tell you, friend, the response that you give out will tell from the place of rest that you're coming. Do I have rest in my life or do I have no rest in my life? Second thought that I have for you this morning is rest is emotional honesty. Rest is emotional honesty. Jesus said this, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. He says, and I will give you rest for your souls, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus understands our humanity. Jesus himself experienced exhaustion and loneliness. He tasted weariness, anxiety, and stress. I love this. Jesus didn't say and doesn't say to us today, come to me happy, cheerful, and optimistic. It's actually the opposite. 
True rest is radical because it's honest. We can't come to Jesus, we can come to Jesus, excuse me, regardless of how we're feeling, distracted, numb, and discouraged. In this place of honesty, Jesus can give you the emotional rest and safety and understanding that you need. I don't know if I'm helping someone here, but rest is emotional honesty. It's interesting that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he was all man, but he was all God, Jesus had to get to a place, and time after time after time, I could have picked a number of different narratives where Jesus withdrew. But he consistently displayed that there needed to be a lifestyle of rest, even for himself, to get back to the raw honesty of who he was and his mandate and his mission here on earth. But that came through the Father. That came through reflection on who God was. And I guess essentially poised a mirror in front of him of who he was and the mandate that he had which enabled him to go to the next town and heal the next person and preach the next message. The third thought that I have for you this morning as my lips stick together. Rest is a return to your true identity. If you're taking notes this morning, gauge your rest from our response, number one. Number two, rest is emotional honesty. Number three, rest is a return to your true identity. The world loves to label us what we can do. We know that from our past, excuse me, who we know, our past, and our future potential to perform. Just as God was calling Israel to return to him, he's calling you and I to say no to the roles and the responsibilities that others are trying to place on us and say yes to who God created us to be, return to a place of rest. I love when Paul wrote to Ephesus or the church of Ephesians, Ephesians 2, chapter 20, Two, sorry, verse 10. He said, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. You are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So when we rest, we actually get back to a place of our true identity. It's funny, the overarching thought now that I can sit back and speak to a scar that was five, six, seven, eight weeks ago and is in the process of being navigated, I actually can see where the place that I was living out of at that moment on the Isle of Capri Pre Bridge and in for a week after that was not truly at the place that God had put me to be. In fact, God didn't want me to worry about what the building would look like in six months and seven months from now. Uh, and God didn't want me to worry about what the future wa was, the house we were going to live in, who was going to buy my boat, and all these different things that were going on, and the anxiety, and the news articles that had crept in. No, the Bible tells me that I'm a child of God, that He has plans and purposes for my life, and, and, and that, that if I draw near to Him, I've been saying it all morning, that He would draw near to me. And His call to me is, as Jesus said in Matthew 6:33, as I seek Him first, as I take a Sabbath and I rest and I focus on Him, His goodness and His righteousness, and dwell on the things of the kingdom of God, in other words, the Word of God, worshiping God and just spending time, maybe encouraging other people in God, then it says that everything that I need for my life will be then added unto me. That's not to negate responsibility. It's to get back to uh, the place and the destiny that God has created and put before every one of us. Because he is the light at our feet and the lamp into our path. If we're not focused on him, 
then maybe we're actually walking in darkness with a false concept that we're walking in his plan. I didn't say this at the beginning, but let me backtrack for just a second. This is chapel after all, isn't it? Busyness always contends or wars against your God awareness. We don't expand through striving, but rest. Let me say this, not napping, but rest. Being deliberate, maintaining the heart of rest should be our priority. It's not too late. I need to say that to someone again. Busyness always contends and wars against your God awareness. Another way, it's not even a point that's in front of me, but we could determine whether we're living out of a place of rest like Jesus illustrates to us. When was the last time we heard from God? I'm not talking about the YouTube last week where Pastor Justin or Pastor Ken preached or or, or, or during the week when Stephen Furtick spoke to you or, or when Bill Johnson spoke to you last night throughout the night to help you sleep. No, I'm talking about when was the last time you retracted away from the busyness and just got honest and raw and just said, God, I just can't hear you in this season. The news is saying this. Melbourne's gone into this turmoil. They're saying, I've got to wear a mask. Like, when was the last time you actually just got raw with God? Because like I said in the second point, rest is emotional honesty. I think all too often maybe in the church, in the sports world, I was watching the NRL just over the weekend, and they said there's eight different NRL teams that are looking for new coaches because the team is underperforming. See, the worldly culture is when you're not resting, when you're full of anxiety, when you're not doing a good job, let's just bring in someone better, let's just wipe away the mess. But God says, no, no, I didn't come for the, the, the doctors. I didn't come for the lawyers, excuse my terminology. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. Jesus comes for us at a time where we're in need. I remember when God met me, I was an addict. I was suicidal. I'd been using meth all weekend. I almost jumped off a building in Surface Paradise the night before. But then I got invited to this church on a November night in 2005. And I remember standing in the back with my arms crossed thinking, I don't want anything to do with this. It's just church. I know it. And then in that moment of my lost brokenness, of the busyness that I thought I was doing uh, uh, that led to addiction, that led to uh, distraction in my life, it was in that moment of brokenness that I encountered the presence of God, or I should say God encountered me. He got me, he arrested me, and I felt his love like I've never felt it before. I say that to say this to you, friend. If God can meet us at our darkest, lowest place and can restore us, why should we be afraid or fearful to get honest, to actually get back in his presence? Rest isn't failure. Rest is spiritual intimacy. I'm going to finish in one minute. Rest isn't failure. Rest is spiritual intimacy. Flows in with what I was just saying. Psalms 46.10. Be still and know that I'm God. It's not just be still and have a nap for the sake of doing it. No. Be still and know. Be still and, and rest. Be still and focus. Be still and hear my voice. Be still and draw near to me. Be still and, and just put all of your, your mindset and your heart in my direction and the Bible says in another language that he will always respond to us. Let me say it again. Number four, rest isn't failure. Rest is a spiritual intimacy. You know, there's people in this room have chosen to take a year out of their lives. 
say to those people, you know, directly and indirectly, you haven't chosen to take a year out of your life to, to get busy. You've taken a year out of your life to rest and reflect on where I've gone right and where I've gone wrong. And I want to tell you right now, it's not just a conscious decision that you've made. It's a decision that God has made to position you and poise you because he wants to catapult you in the future. But it's going to demand that you have a season of a loud rest for yourself to focus on his breath, to focus on his voice, to focus on the pneuma of who God is and the very essence of the presence of God. When it gets under your skin, it becomes addictive in another way that you're used to. And I want to just tell you that God has has put you in that place. Elijah had done everything he knew how to do. Just after defeating the prophets Baal, he went back to a place of almost rest, but he was stressed out. It could have been considered failure, but it was actually spiritual intimacy and God flipped the script on him. Yet his problems did not go away. Stress broke Elijah's spirit and despair. Elijah woke up to find rest and fresh bread baking on the hot stones. And water was left there for him. Not only did God send an angel once, but he sent an angel twice to touch Elijah. God knew Elijah needed physical rejuvenation first in order to hear his soft and gentle voice. God didn't say, well, let's just move on with someone else. It's the opposite. God loved Elijah through that season of rest back to a place of wholeness. My question for you today as we close could God be inviting you into a deeper place of intimacy through rest? He said at the beginning, he works all things together for the good of those who love him. If it took for me to drive across the bridge and think I want to fight someone or get angry at someone or go down that mindset to then lead me into a conversation of reflection with some friends as to how I'm going, to then draw me back to a place where I thought I was just having a break, but it was actually getting back to a place of deeper intimacy. Amen. See, when you get to a place of rest, you're not only just building your foundation of intimacy, you're actually going deeper. You're grinding away a little bit more. You're putting on a new patch so that you can step out into the pressure of what the world has for you on the other side. I'm going to close. And just right now, if everyone in this room would just close your eyes and bow your head. The Christians in this room, maybe just in your heart, you're praying. If you're in this room and you've never invited Jesus into your heart, I want to give you an opportunity right now. You've never said yes to Jesus. Friend, I want to tell you if you've come here by mistake or part of a community or maybe you just walked in off the street, maybe you are from Melbourne and you're visiting, I want to tell you God does not discriminate. No matter who you are, in fact, I heard this story once. There was a young man being teased at school and he was being teased because he was adopted the kids all gathered around him and one ringleader was in the front and he was teasing him. He was saying, man, you're, you're adopted. You, you, your parents left you. And he stopped them with confidence and he turned around and he looked at all the people there and then he looked back in the eyes of this person who was ridiculing him for being adopted and he said, excuse me, excuse me, let me stop you right there. You think that I'm adopted, but what I'd actually say to you is my father picked me. He hand chose me. You know, the best part of the story is he turned to him and he said, your dad got stuck with you. <laughs> Friend, I say all that to say that if you're in this room, God's chosen you. God's hand picked you. He may be, not be your birth dad, but he's your creator dad. He's 
the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you're in this room, I want to tell you that the hand of God right now is pointing at you. He's poised and he's saying, come back, come back. He's chosen you. You know that I'm speaking to you right now because your heart's probably beating. You've had time and time, opportunity after opportunity, but now is the day, friend. Remember, Jesus didn't come to, to, to heal the sick, but he came for the lost and the broken. Maybe you're in this room right now and you would fit into that category and you say, Pastor, that's me. I know God's got his hand on me. I want to begin a new relationship with God. If you're saying, yep, God's chosen me, today I'm going to respond. The Bible says, and Jesus says, that if we respond and we call on his name, that we will be saved. The scripture says, if we believe in our heart that Jesus is the Son of God and we uh, confess it with our mouth, that from that moment on, we will be saved. We will walk in a relationship with God. The creator of the heavens and earth will walk with us for the rest of our life. He'll draw near to us. He'll tell us things. He'll inspire us. He'll restore us. And he'll lead us through whatever season we're going through. Friend, if that's you this morning and you're saying, yes, today I want to invite Jesus into my heart. Would you just give me a show? Every eye is closed in this room. Just raise your hand. I'd love to just pray with you. I see your hand. I see your hand. See your hand. See your hand. See your hand. That's awesome. Why don't we all just jump to our feet right now? Come on, let's give our friends a hand clap. Just everyone in this room, why don't we just close our eyes? We had a whole bunch of people uh, just raise their hand to say yes for Jesus. We believe for the first time. And, and maybe if you're in this room and you've said yes to Jesus before, but, but you feel like you've just got caught up in the journey. Maybe I've spoken to you this morning. You got caught up with busyness and you've gone after things. This morning, God's calling you back to a place of rest, friend. See, we can get on with life and we can post-COVID it. But unless we learn how to rest and go to a deeper level of intimacy, I believe we probably won't grow to the fullness of what God wants to do in our lives. Would you pray this prayer with me? This morning, Jesus, I know you've chosen me. I'm making a decision to choose you now. I thank you for your forgiveness, and I invite you into my heart that you'd live with me from now forever. I ask that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit. I thank you for this moment, that right now, that you're with me for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen.